And another disclaimer that I want to have before we go into the book of Ruth, it is very dangerous for us as Bible students to apply 19th and 20th and 21st century ideas of uh, romance and of wooing a companion or love and trying to apply them to ancient Israel, the first century, or the Roman era because they're completely different cultures. That's not how things work back then. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and its nuances this evening. First, to build some background, let's read the first five verses of chapter one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Elon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. So here's our background. This is in the closing days of the book of Judges. So for 400 years, the nation of Israel, as we've seen through the book of Judges, every man did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king. There was no central ruler. They weren't seeking after the Lord first. It was a time when God should have been leading the nation of Israel as every person individually went to the Lord and followed the high priest and, and followed the writings and teachings of God. But every man left himself will always drift away from the Lord, never to the Lord. And that's what happened to the entire nation. We saw the devastation to the tribe of Benjamin and other events throughout the 400 years of the time of the judges. And it's in this time that we see it around Bethlehem, a city that means land of bread, or area of bread. This time where every man doing whatever it is in his own eyes, there was a famine. And there was often a famine. In every generation, in every time period throughout all of history, there's always been tough times. And there's always been <coughs> And what a good time and a bad time is, is always what we make of it. It's what we compare it to. Because for us, a recession, even a depression in the United States historically, would be a paradise compared to other portions of the, of the world in other portions of the economy. So again, everything's comparative, compared to what? Typically, when we're talking about a famine in ancient Israel, we were talking about death by starvation. There is not enough food to keep every human being alive. And so this family, who's been raising up a family, and they've been having sons, and they've been living around in the nation of Israel for this time, making ends meet. They decide that they're going to leave the nation of Israel, and they're going to go into the land of the Moabites, so that they can make a living, so that they can survive. And when they do that, everything bad happens. Now, do they seek God's will? Are they asking if they should move? Are they trusting in the Lord? None of these things. It's just a practical decision. And to be honest, if I'm facing famine, if I look at my children and they're crying every night because they can't eat something because their stomach is hurting, I'm going to do all kinds of crazy things to make sure that they're fed. But they don't trust in the Lord. And 
we'll see that later on in this chapter. It's inferred that they should have saved. And they did it. They stepped into their own hands and then they go to the land of the Moabites. And what do they do in the land of the Moabites? Their two sons that they're raising, the husband dies, and the two sons take Moabite wives. So they're living with the Moabites. Now, like I said, we don't want to attack the way that we grow up in our culture and how relationships are started. We're thinking, oh yeah, you know, they saw some pretty Moabite girls in high school and they got married, they had 2.5 kids and all that sort of stuff. These marriages are arranged. So they arranged these marriages. That means dad got involved and the other dad got involved and they had a transaction of, uh, of money and a dowry and they set these things up and they had these marriages. So this is a family event. This isn't just compromise. If you remember, even with Samson taking Philistine wives, the parents were involved. He begged his parents to make it happen. And so it's very fascinating. But the Moabite wives come in. We see them introduced. Naomi and Ruth, excuse me, Orpah and Ruth, Naomi's mom. They're in the family. The boys die. The two sons die. So now we have three widows. Three widows. No males. No way to make a living. No way out. And Naomi's mom, or would-be grandma, but they didn't have any kids. She's definitely got no way. She's too old to even marry. So there's no way out of this situation. And so we see that this whole story starts in a very depressing, sad time. And I want to make sure that we do apply our emotion to this. What kind of decisions will you make if your children are child? What kind of decisions are you going to make if you lose your spouse? You know, life specifically. If your husband dies. If your kids your daughter's husband dies. And you're in a family and you're in poverty. There's no way out. You're in a foreign land, in a foreign nation where they speak a foreign tongue. And your husband dies. Your, your, your sons die. And now you have your daughters in law with you. What are you going to do? I know what most of us would do. Blame God. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? You're a great God. You're all powerful. You can do anything. Why didn't you heal them? Why didn't you feed me? Why didn't you keep me? Why didn't you keep us back here in Israel? Why did all these things happen? Well, let's continue a little bit farther along in our story and see what they do say. So let's read verses 6 through 9. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each other to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So, we see a couple things that I said here. I said that later on in the scripture it's going to insinuate they should have stayed. And here it says that Naomi is hearing reports that things are better in the nation of Israel, that the Lord has visited his people with bread. Now, if you don't catch it earlier, it says that they lived in the land of Moab for 10 years. So we 
have to be careful because we have this argument from silence. Does that mean that there's a thing where famine in Israel for 10 years? We have no idea. It could have gotten a lot better there. It could have just been one season. We don't know. But now that Naomi then Moab 10 years later and all the guys are gone and it's just those ladies, she's hearing reports. You know, if you go back to the land of Israel, everything's okay. She's got family there. She's got connections there. So she said, I'm going to go back to where the Lord is. I got questions. I got a lot of questions. First of all, she's not blaming the Lord at all. It is not recorded here that she's angry with God. It's not recorded here in this moment. Her emotions, she's simply thinking about her daughters, and she's thinking about going back, which begs me to ask another question. Was it her husband's idea to leave in the first place? And she was obedient. We will never know. We will never know. These are just thoughts that I have. But here she is, and she is now going to go back to the land of Moab. And she's not, she doesn't want to bring her daughters along with her. She doesn't want to bring Orpah, and she doesn't want to bring Ruth. Because she just thinks it's, uh, it's going to be easy for them. She's got no uh, status. She's got no money. She can't marry them off. They're Moabites. So if they go back to Israel, anybody that's still serving the Lord or following the law of God is not going to want to marry them. And if they do, they're going to be a compromise. We see where that got them. And so she says, go your way. Go back to your families. And go back to your families. Get new husbands. Start new lives. You're young. Yeah, everything will be okay. I hope that God blesses you with your young Is that the right thing to do in this moment? Text is silent. It doesn't say. But we know that that's her heart is for them to do well. She wants them to Imagine trying to make these decisions and having these conversations after losing your sons and losing your husband and having no opportunity. And where does she want to go? I mean, I might in my fleshly weakness want to run away from the Lord. She wants to go back. There's a lot of things that we want to take notes on here. But she wants to do right by her daughter-in-law. And so we have some very intense conversations starts in verses 10 through 14. I missed that portion too, so it says, so she kissed them and lifted them up their voices and wept. And now verse 10, and they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. And Naomi said, turn back, my daughter. Why won't you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughter, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I had hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother in law, but Ruth clung to her. So now we see that Naomi is starting to shed. So they're crying, they're weeping, and this family's broken. This family is absolutely broken. And she's telling them to go. They're, they both say they want to stay. And so again, it's hard for us in our culture to even understand what's being said here. Because Naomi says, do you want to wait till I have sons? I can't even have more sons. And we're like, what does that mean? That's just exactly what it means. And that is that if she were to have a son then, and they were to grow, they would wait till they were uh, of age, and they would he would have to fulfill 
so he would have this extremely old lady, and he would be an extremely young man, and they would get married, but it would keep the household intact, and it would keep the family lineage intact. And most important, in ancient Israel law, is where does the land go? Because it has to stay in tribe, specifically. And so that's how it was all arranged. And we're just like, that is lunacy. Well, that's different. I think it's lunacy that you allow 19-year-olds to make decisions that are going to affect the rest of their life based on what they feel like in the moment. I mean, they can't even decide what color car they need to buy if they even have a job to begin with, and they barely have a driver's license. And we're like, do you feel like you really love this person? Sure, go ahead. It's a great idea. That's lunacy. But our entire society is based on it. Am I a hypocrite because that's the way I did it? A hundred percent. I pray God for the grace of the Lord. And so there, they didn't have that option. <coughs> so Orca decides, you know what, she's right. I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. This is just, I'm going to go home. And it says, Ruth clung to her. Why? Why? Like, well, we made this out. We really glamorized Ruth here. Because we make it a spiritual decision. We romanticize it. And we have no idea. All it says is that Ruth clung to her. Maybe she just trusted Naomi more than she trusted her own people. I don't know. Maybe she just doesn't like change. Maybe Orpah's a little more wild. She's like, yeah, you know what? She's a little wise woman. And I've got a good shot with them. I'm going to go. Ruth is like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not going to the baby. Nah, that ain't going to work. We have no idea. And it's very dangerous for us to apply all those extra slips. But we Ruth makes a decision, Orpah makes a decision, and they're going to go different directions. But it just saddens me to think that there are families like this all over the planet, all over the world, that are going through just utter devastation like this, and they're just weeping and holding and comfort, and just they're not knowing they're making the right decision, and they're going to the right place, do I need to move, do I not move? That's life. That's real life. Before we continue, I want to point out, a few years earlier, they had husbands, they were all married, they were all established in Moab, they lived there for 10 years, they thought it was never going to change. Nobody was going to get sick, nobody was going to die, they were going to all have children, they were all going to have grandkids, and they were going to do very, very well. But life happens. And over and over again in this fellowship, we want to reiterate that we have a real relationship with a real God for real life. And we need to understand that radical change can happen. And how is our relationship with God going to be affected when those things happen? Because he will never be a perfect substitute. The rest of us, well, we're going to live each other now. That's just a matter of time. Well, let's read now verses 15 through 18. Ruth is still clean. Naomi. And Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from you, follow me after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and all more also, if anything but death part you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped. 
stop pushing it to go away. Just stop. Now, these are some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. They are quoted all the time. I think that's great. I'm not declaring, I'm not speaking against it. This is an awesome declaration that she makes. It is in complete ignorance as far as I'm concerned. Because she is going to be in the lowest stature of society in all of the nation of Israel. She is a widow. She is a Moabite. She is from a foreign nation. She is less than dirt as far as the nation of Israel goes. And she's saying, Naomi, as long as I can be with you, I am going to follow you, and I'm going to follow your people, I'm going to follow your rules, I'm going to follow everything you want me to go all the way to my death. And she makes this promise. And remember, making an oath in this time period is a very serious issue. Remember in the book of Judges, people were dying by the thousands because people wanted to keep their word. Remember in the book of Judges, a man killed his own daughter because he made an oath to God whenever he came out the door. So when you make an oath, there's some life-changing, life-altering consequences. And here she makes one. And in ignorance or not, she makes it to Jehovah. She doesn't make it to Yahweh. She makes it to the Lord. She is going to follow him no matter what. What's in it for her? Not David. Nothing is in it for her. She hasn't read this book. She doesn't know where this is going. She doesn't have any opportunities. She is a life of poverty, a life of oppression, and a life of racism. Because she is not of the right way. She is not of the nation of Israel. She's a Moabite. And she says, no matter what, though, I'm going to fall after God. Are you going to fall after God after, after your loved one is gone? If you're younger here, you're going to fall after God when your mom and your dad are not here? If you're older, and you get sick, and life's terrible, and you go through a famine, or you lose your money, are you going to follow him? Or are you in it, like, what's in it for me? If God blesses me, and if he shows me how much he loves me, then I'll love him back. Ruth makes a different decision. And so that's why I think that declaration is so beautiful. Now let's see, in the next four chapters, what can sometimes happen, that can always, when we decide to follow God. see what's happening in verses 19 and 20. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. After they started. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, you don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? But Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Naomi and Come walking into Bethlehem. Let's start with that. They have walked on their own two feet from Moab to Bethlehem. With what condition? How did they make their way? What kind of stuff did they have with them? What did they eat every day? And we have no idea. But this is 
a very difficult journey. Geographically, it's uphill all the way. I feel bad for Future Roots kids who have been here. Oh, stop me crying because I had to walk uphill from Moab all the way over here to work in a barley harvest just so that I could find your father and that we could raise you in this place where you're so spoiled. I can hear it now. But before all that, we wanted to say you really are walking into Bethlehem. And it shows you the family ties because they know immediately it's Naomi. She hasn't been visiting on the weekends. Naomi hasn't been there in 10 years. And she shows up and everybody starts to talk. Everyone's sitting on the front porch. Where's my baby? Where's her husband? He's right. Didn't she have two boys? That is on two. Who is that one person? That's a Moabite. And that's how they start. Now, when she comes into town, and they're like, Naomi, Naomi, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. She says, no, don't call me that anymore. God is God has afflicted me. He says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I love that Naomi, which we will never call her Mara, because the scripture never records her as this. She only calls herself that, and God doesn't refer to her that way. The Lord only refers to her as Naomi in the scripture. But she doesn't have any Christian attitude. There is no churchiness in her. How are y'all doing today? I'm doing great. Oh, it's just a blessed day. My husband died, but he's in a better place. I feel great. Where did this come from, this attitude that people act like this? Oh, how, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I work 60 hours, can't make my bills. Barely holding it together in my back. I'll praise the Lord if that's happening. I'll be grateful. When did this ever happen? I don't know when did this come into the society. But Naomi did not like that day. God has afflicted me. Times are tough. It's so bad. Don't call me pleasant. I want you to call me bitterness. I mean, I'm just really, really going through it. And she is claiming that God has afflicted her. And she is going through it. If you cannot understate this. She's lost her son. She's lost her husband. She's lost her house that she's had for 10 years. She's lost one of her daughters-in-law. All she has is Ruth left. She has nothing. And she decides to go back. For most of us, when we go through real difficulties like this, we try and run away. We try and go away. We try and find a fresh place, a new start. But not Naomi. She comes back, and she's having these very, very difficult going through it, come back and have the conversation. Just tell the truth. Don't lie. No fake faces here. No mask. Just tell it like it is. And we have to do the same back. Oh, I'm praying for you. Are you though? What does that even mean? I'm praying for you. you know, oh yeah, the Lord bless them. On the way to the world. Or you got the other person sit there and lay hands on them and pray for them 15 minutes straight. Are you trying to bore them to death? Are you? Oh, how dare you say that about my prayer? This is before the Lord. Is it? Or is it just about you spending 15 minutes in prayer? Like, what, what are we doing here? I remember when Peter was dying, drowning. He had to go to 
there's two sides to the story. They answer is the sincerity of truth. The agape love of God moving through the Holy Spirit is a fellowship. It's sincerity. It's being real. Don't fake it. Don't try to be churchy. Don't be religious. Don't be trying to be overly spiritual or not spiritual at all. Just be authentic and allow the Lord to move. Now, coming back to Naomi, she said the Almighty has afflicted me. I love this. Coming chapters, it will be shown that the Almighty will bless her. If only she could see it. But she can't. I neither can you. But how long is this time period? I have no idea. There's plenty of times in Scripture where people went through decades of difficulty and then great times of blessing came. I don't know if the Lord's timing this for you. I remind you here. They had just stayed close to the Lord. None of this will ever, ever happen. But when it does, the sooner you repent and return, the better. The difference between a new believer and a strong seasoned believer is that the strong seasoned believer repents faster. That's it. New believer waits too long. They backslide, gone for a couple years, really had a difficult time, figures it out because the Lord will not leave you nor forsake you. He'll take you back. The mature, strong believer repents faster. I'm not staying. I'm not going. I don't I got this one, so I'm not doing that anymore. I don't take two minutes without confessing. I'm not doing that. Same way it's Ten years, they're back in Bethlehem with less people than they went out with. Sometimes that happens. But what you don't see when you do that time of repentance, all you're seeing is the bar. All you're seeing is the affliction. All you're seeing is the consequences. We are smiling, though, because we're Bible students here. Why are we smiling? We know the man of her dreams is coming to Ruth. We know that Naomi's family is about to be restored. They're about to get their property and land back. He's going to have grandkids. We know that through their faith that King David is going to come through their lineage. We know that the Messiah, the king of the universe, is going to come through her lineage. If she knew all those things, she'd be singing to Bethlehem. She'd be skipping to Bethlehem. She'd be like, eating? I don't need to eat. A house? Who cares? I have a glorious future. Do you know what I know? You don't know anything. And I want to point out earlier, Ruth had no idea any of these things when she said, your God will be my God. And I will follow him, and I will follow you, and your people will be mine. But she had no idea any of these promises. So what's our problem? What is our problem? All the promises that God gives us in Scripture. We know the promises and the glorious hope and the future that we have. We know it. by faith alone. We had to have altar offerings every single day. And we had no idea how God was going to come to the planet.